More than half the world is on social media, and many of us use it every single day. But in 2021, when a Facebook employee leaked a series of internal reports, many of us realized we had no idea of the sheer scale of the dangers that lurked online. Dangers that seemed far worse than the odd troll, catfish, or scammer. Welcome to Whistleblowers, a Spotify original from Parcast. In this series, we explore the biggest lies in history through the eyes of the whistleblowers who risked everything to expose them. Today, we're telling the story of Francis Haugen, the Silicon Valley software engineer who accused Facebook of putting profits before people. This is a story that is still unfolding, but it has already transformed the way we see social media. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hola. Hello, this call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow, ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow, now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier, thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. Francis Haugen's story starts with a series of unexpected personal misfortunes. Events that changed her from a happy, company-loyal 20-something into a disenfranchised whistleblower, willing to put her career on the line to expose the truth. In the early 2010s, Francis was living the Silicon Valley dream. She had a prime job working on search ranking algorithms at tech giant Google. She was in her late 20s, married to a fellow Googler, and she was getting paid well to do work she found compelling and groundbreaking. She had it all. Until, suddenly, she didn't. Frances's marriage began to fall apart, right around the same time that she started to have weird health problems. Out of the blue, in 2014, her weight began to fluctuate dramatically for no clear reason, and she developed serious nerve pain. At the time, Frances was a keen cyclist and would often cover 100 miles a day, but suddenly she was having trouble walking, and her doctors couldn't work out what was wrong. Before long, she had to use a wheelchair to get around. As she got sicker, 
She struggled to keep up with her workload at Google, but some of her bosses seemed to think she was faking her illness. When her manager put her on a performance improvement plan, she quit. After months of discomfort, Frances ended up in the hospital with signs of malnutrition and a blood clot in her leg. Her condition worsened. She lost all feeling below the knee, and her digestive system started packing up. She became dangerously weak, and at times, she wasn't sure if she would survive. Frances was in the hospital for seven long weeks, before the doctors finally worked out that her symptoms were caused by celiac disease. The diagnosis meant that they were able to stop her downward spiral. Frances had always been focused, determined, and methodical in her approach to her goals. Now her goal was to rebuild her life. Her marriage had not survived her illness, but she could start over again on her own. She would find a new job without the baggage of her health problems. The hardest part was going to be regaining her health. Thanks to the nerve damage in her legs, she had to learn to walk again. When she moved back into her San Francisco home in 2015, Frances hired a family friend to help her. She couldn't do basic things around the house, like cooking and cleaning, and she couldn't drive to her appointments or run errands. This person, a guy around her age, could do all these things for her and keep her spirits up in the process. Over the next year, the two of them became closer than ever. Her friends supported her and encouraged her, even when she felt like she'd never walk again. And with his help, Frances began to feel better. First, she was able to take a few steps on her own using a walker. Then, as she got stronger, she switched her walker for a cane. Eventually, she could get around unaided. When the 2016 election came round, the two of them spent hours discussing politics. Francis's friend was a hardcore supporter of Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. And so when the senator lost the nomination, he was upset. But then his sadness turned to anger, and he started saying things that worried Francis. He suggested that George Soros the American pro-democracy philanthropist and human rights advocate, was behind Bernie Sanders' loss, an allegation that Francis knew was rattling around in some dark corners of the Internet. Not only that, he claimed, but Mr. Soros was manipulating the entire world economy. Francis was dumbfounded. She'd heard about these kinds of conspiracy theories, but she'd never had a close friend actually believe them. Before long, her friend was telling her about more and more outlandish theories that he'd read on Reddit and 4chan, things that delved into the occult and veered toward white supremacy. Now that he'd found these answers, everything made more sense to him. These were the only sources that were telling the truth. Traditional media was lying about the massive conspiracies behind the scenes and just wanted to keep the populace docile. Francis raced to try and disprove the theories he was spouting. 
And when arguing with him didn't work, she sent him well-researched articles by respected journalists from respected publications. But the articles had no effect. Her friend scoffed at her. How could she actually be getting her news from these places? He'd just told her they were lying to her. Frances tried everything she could think of to bring back the kind, generous person who'd helped her through the hardest time in her life. But nothing seemed to work. Eventually, the two realized they had nothing more to say to each other. He left the San Francisco Bay Area and cut ties with her, leaving Frances devastated and heartbroken. She might have regained her health, but she had lost a dear friend. Three years passed, and in early 2019, things were going well for Frances once again. Her health had improved dramatically, and she'd found a new job that she enjoyed. But when a recruiter from Facebook offered her a job at the social media giant, her interest was piqued. Her experience with algorithms made her especially attractive to the tech company. But over her years in Silicon Valley, Frances had intentionally avoided working at Facebook. The company values didn't appeal to her, and she didn't like the vitriol she saw in Facebook posts. She felt the platform had allowed itself to be exploited by troll farms and disinformation. But above all, her experience with her friend came to mind. Although this friend hadn't found his information on Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg himself had even acknowledged that fake news shared on the site may have affected the outcome of the 2016 election. Working at Facebook could give her a chance to improve their algorithms and help stop what she saw as a rising tide of misinformation that was poisoning relationships all over the world. She told the recruiter that she was only interested in working for them if she could join the civic integrity team, a team that was dedicated to studying and preventing harm caused on Facebook. Its goal was to make sure that the platform was a positive force in society. Its team members even took an informal oath to serve the people's interests first, not Facebook's. The recruiter took note, and in June 2019, Frances was welcomed onto the team. Facebook's office looked like a huge airplane hangar, and walking up to the building for the first time was thrilling. This was one of the most powerful companies on the planet, and here she was, coming to make a difference. Frances threw herself into her new job. Though the larger civic integrity team consisted of several hundred people, the team she was managing was less than 10 people. Their focus was on stopping the spread of false information, known internally as civic misinformation. Her colleagues were super smart and dedicated to their mission. Like Francis, they were the best in their field, and they cared deeply about making both Facebook and the world a better place. They were also almost all brand new employees, just like her. As the new team got up to speed, Frances immediately realized that the scale of her task was far bigger than she'd anticipated. Over the past few years, Facebook had been working to expand its reach. 
Not only was its main website a popular social media platform, but it now owned a number of other applications, including Instagram and the messaging service WhatsApp. And because WhatsApp operated using internet data rather than traditional text messaging, it had quickly become a preferred way of communicating in developing countries. But Facebook hadn't stopped there. It had struck deals with telephone service providers in a number of developing countries to include apps for Facebook, Facebook Messenger, Instagram, and WhatsApp on cell phones at affordable rates. Using internet browser apps like Firefox or Safari was far too expensive for most people. So millions of people all over the planet started using Facebook's apps as their primary source of communication and news. In much of the world, Facebook had become the internet. All the while, Facebook was gaining access to millions more users than their competitors. And Francis's team was responsible for monitoring and stopping the spread of misinformation and propaganda among this fast-growing community of users, even when the content wasn't in English. But Francis didn't panic. She knew that each social media platform had its own algorithm, an automatic system that sorts through posts and chooses the ones that are most relevant to each user. When she'd been at Google, a dedicated group of people had monitored the algorithm to make sure it lived up to their ethics and standards. Surely Facebook had a similar department that could help her team by adjusting the algorithm and stemming the flow of misinformation to the millions of new users. But, in fact, at Facebook, the algorithm was basically left to its own devices to feed content to users. The prevailing attitude across the company was that humans shouldn't have to make judgment calls to override the algorithm. They just had to remove bad content from the platform in order to prevent the algorithm from distributing it. Frances realized she had to find help elsewhere. A team of fewer than 10 people couldn't find and remove all the social and political misinformation from around the world. But she claims that when she asked the bosses to hire more people, they told her it wasn't possible. The Facebook way was to do more with less. To Francis, the implication was clear. If she wanted to succeed there, she had to figure out a way to hit her targets with the resources she had. Otherwise, she just wasn't a good fit for the company. Francis wasn't going to give up that easily. She had survived a disease that had nearly killed her, after all, and she had joined Facebook to stop misinformation, so she was going to do just that. But she would soon realize that she might be too late. Some information on the platform may already have added fuel to a deadly fire. Hola. Hello. This call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow. Ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow. Now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. 
eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. In the summer of 2019, 35-year-old Frances Haugen decided that if she couldn't stop all of the misinformation on Facebook's applications, she would do her best to stop the worst of it. If they managed that, perhaps they would be allowed to expand in the future. In order to figure out which area to tackle, Frances and her team looked at a number of different misinformation issues on the company's platforms. And they looked at research that Facebook had already done internally before they had joined. Frances quickly realized the importance of something that the broader civic team already knew about. More than a year earlier, in 2018, Facebook had overhauled its newsfeed algorithm. They'd even done a bunch of press around it, letting people know that their Facebook experiences were going to change. Mark Zuckerberg and his spokespeople had claimed that they wanted to refocus the Facebook experience around interactions with users' friends, rather than with brands. They said they wanted the user experience to be more pleasant and worthwhile. They called it a shift towards meaningful social interaction. They even suggested that this was partly in reaction to the negative PR backlash Facebook had received in the wake of the fake news scandal of the 2016 election. They hinted that this change in the algorithm would hurt Facebook as a business, but would be better for society and individual users. Francis discovered that there might have been another, less altruistic motive behind this change. In 2017, Facebook had noticed that while users were spending the same amount of time on the platform, they weren't interacting with the app by commenting and liking as much. Facebook feared this meant that users would soon start leaving the app entirely. The newsfeed algorithm overhaul was designed to increase user engagement. And it was doing that by prioritizing posts that evoked strong emotional responses. Because Facebook knew that these were the ones that people tended to interact with. After the overhaul in 2018, the Civic team had quickly discovered that the messages that attracted the most interaction weren't joyful or sad posts, but angry ones. And it was these that the algorithm sent to the top of people's newsfeeds. Worst of all, their research showed that the angry posts that attracted the most engagement were also the most likely to be false. Which meant that the algorithm was actually promoting misinformation. At the time, the Civic team had passed their concerns up the chain. Outside stakeholders, including BuzzFeed CEO Jonah Peretti and the communications teams from European political parties, had also been in touch. These people were concerned that the new algorithm was pushing them to post outrage bait, since that was now the only content that got likes and reshares. Facebook's model was encouraging divisiveness. 
And now, a year after the overhaul, Francis was disturbed to find that thus far, nothing major had been done about the problem. The civic team had been tasked with removing misinformation when they found it, but the organizing principle of the algorithm couldn't be changed. After all, Facebook's business model relied on continued growth and maintaining engagement, and that took precedence. Frustrated, Frances and her team kept digging and discovered that this outrage bait could be connected to another, more worrying issue. They noticed that the relatively new Facebook applications in countries like Ethiopia and Myanmar were swamped with false content. Both nations had been in extended periods of civil unrest and political turmoil. And naturally, those problems were spilling over onto Facebook's news feeds. And because the languages spoken in both nations represented a small percentage of Facebook users, they were barely being moderated at all. Since 2016, Facebook had been forced by bad press and political pressure to expand its moderation teams in places like the US, UK, and EU. But less wealthy countries, and those with less common languages, were mostly left alone. It simply didn't make financial sense to invest in local language moderation teams. Francis scrolled through post after post, seeing pictures of dead bodies and severed heads, reading viral content in translation that called ethnic minorities insects and vermin, and urged genocide. As fast as her team and other moderators took down this propaganda or disinformation, they could never seem to get rid of all of them. Worst of all, as she read the news, Francis saw that people weren't just urging genocide online. Ethnic minorities in both Ethiopia and Myanmar were being attacked and massacred in real life. Francis and her colleagues immediately took their concerns up the chain, along with a solution. They proposed limiting reshares, a measure which they knew would decrease the spread of disinformation exponentially. They just needed to stop people from acting on their first outraged emotion. The Facebook bosses thanked the civic team for their hard work. They agreed that they certainly didn't want people to encourage genocide and sectarian violence on the platform. And when they implemented a handful of the proposed measures in both Ethiopia and Myanmar, Francis felt hopeful for the first time. A few months later, though, in fall 2019, Francis's team found that similar issues were cropping up elsewhere, too. Especially in India, where political tensions seemed to be fueling a surge in disinformation. A colleague of Francis said that after three weeks researching Indian Facebook, they'd seen more images of dead people than they'd seen in their entire life. Their Facebook and WhatsApp were full of hate speech, bots, and fake accounts some of which the team believed could be traced back to India's political leaders. Many users were sharing Islamophobic content, and violence against Muslims was already increasing across the nation. If Facebook wasn't careful, they could end up in the same situation as they had been in Ethiopia and Myanmar. 
The civic team, alongside a panel of outside experts, put together an in-depth, researched strategy for how to tackle political disinformation and inflammatory content in India. But Francis claims that when the Facebook chiefs saw the strategy, they rejected a lot of the carefully crafted plan and spent a weekend putting together a new policy, one that she didn't rate highly. Francis was bitterly disappointed at this, but not too surprised. India was one of Facebook's largest and fastest-growing markets, after all. Perhaps the chiefs didn't want to make any changes to the platform that could put users off or be seen as political by India's leaders. By early 2020, the months of viewing violent, hateful Facebook posts were getting to Frances. She'd been at the company for just over half a year, but she was already sick of feeling like she was banging her head against a wall. Just as Francis's frustration was reaching fever pitch, the COVID-19 pandemic hit in March 2020. Suddenly, the world ground to a halt. As doctors suggested that people with autoimmune diseases, including celiac, would be at especially high risk of the new virus, Francis fled back to her parents' house in Iowa. She could work remotely there and would be much safer than in crowded San Francisco. But there was another advantage to going home, too. Frances saw it as a chance to take a step back and reflect on her first year at Facebook. And her mother, a priest, would be the perfect person to help her think clearly. Over the next few months, Frances worked during the day and spent the evenings telling her mother about her dilemma. She described the constant stream of hateful and violent content and how it kept her awake at night. But she also told her about other things her team barely had the bandwidth to look at. Things like the human trafficking deals that were being done over Facebook. The reports that suggested Instagram was making body image issues worse for teenage girls. The secret whitelist of celebrities and big-name politicians who were allowed to break the rules on hate speech and pornography and the deluge of coronavirus misinformation that was spreading across the platform unchecked. The hurdles seemed endless. But then, while Frances and her mom worked out what her next move should be, something unexpected happened. In November 2020, right after the U.S. presidential election, Facebook announced internally that they would be shutting down the civic integrity team. From their point of view, the election had passed without scandal. In the lead-up, they'd put in place a variety of mitigation measures, which had clearly worked. Now the election was over, most of those measures could be removed. Those who had been doing integrity and misinformation work would join other teams. Francis and her colleagues couldn't help but feel betrayed. They were sure that removing these measures would mean a rise in misinformation, extremism, and hate. Their theory was supported when, just a week after the election, a data scientist at Facebook sent a message out to his colleagues. He'd found that 10% of all views of political material in the U.S. were of posts that claimed that the election vote was fraudulent, 
a remarkably high figure. And then, on January 6, 2021, a large group of domestic terrorists attacked the U.S. Capitol and attempted to stop Congress from ratifying the presidential election. While Facebook maintains that it wasn't responsible for anything that happened at the Capitol building, internally, their teams reported that many of the people involved in the attack had connected through Facebook and WhatsApp and had liked and shared misinformation until their frustration turned into a frenzy of violent outrage. This news pushed Frances over the edge. It was time for her to act. She could no longer wait around and hope to change Facebook from within. The only pressure Mark Zuckerberg and his advisors seemed to respond to was external. Have you ever wondered what it's like to bite into nerds' gummy clusters? They're fruity. They're tangy. They're gummy. And they're crunchy. Nerds Gummy Clusters, a union of fruity sweet gummy and tangy crunchy nerds. Unleash your senses. Shop now at nerdscandy.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In early 2021, Francis contacted an organization called Whistleblower Aid, and they agreed to help her. They told her that if she went about things the right way, the U.S. government's whistleblower statutes should protect her. But it wasn't a guarantee. As an employee, she had signed a non-disclosure agreement that forbade her from making certain information public. Facebook could decide to sue her or find other ways to damage her reputation. Just a few months before, in September 2020, another whistleblower called Sophie Zhang had been fired from Facebook after raising the alarm about political manipulation in Facebook posts. On her last day at the company, Sophie had shared a message with the world that outlined their faults, and Facebook had tried to suppress it. She even claimed they shut down her private website. When she took her claims to the press, Facebook spokespeople adamantly denied wrongdoing. Sophie's journey had not been easy. After blowing the whistle, she'd suffered from debilitating anxiety and depression. But she maintained that she didn't regret what she had done. Emboldened, Francis contacted Wall Street Journal reporter Jeff Horowitz. Jeff had a track record for covering Facebook and tech companies, as well as government regulation and financial sectors. She soon realized that he, too, cared deeply about holding Facebook accountable and encouraging it to change for the better. But to do that, Francis would need to provide him with evidence. And that part would be surprisingly easy. Because of the pandemic, Frances, as well as many of her colleagues, were still working from home. They all communicated using an internal network called Workplace, which looks almost identical to Facebook. 
Employees can use it to post messages to the rest of their team, share reports, and comment on each other's posts. And because Workplace is deliberately kept open, employees from any department can see discussions other teams are having. Francis looked through Workplace and saved anything that seemed valuable by taking photos of her computer screen with her phone. Over the next few months, she amassed thousands of pages of internal Facebook memos, research slides, and meeting notes. All the while, she kept what she was doing from her colleagues, but felt terrible about it. Many of them were good friends of hers, people who shared her frustrations with Facebook and had worked hard to change it. But she couldn't risk telling them what she was doing. When she gave the documents to Jeff, he quickly realized she was handing him the keys to a gold mine. Francis's only condition was that when he released them, her identity should be kept concealed. Shortly afterwards, in May 2021, she resigned from Facebook. She'd been working with Jeff for five months now, and as far as she was concerned, her part was done. But over the next few weeks, as Jeff teamed up with other journalists and news outlets to sift through, organize, and analyze the documents, it started to become clear to him that Francis's role here was far from over. In September 2021, Jeff ran the full series by Francis. He pointed out that some of the information could be traced back to her, and if they wanted the series to have a real impact, it was information that could not be removed. Francis had never wanted to be the face of this story, but she had made the choices that had brought her this far, and she knew she was going to have to live with the consequences. She and Jeff decided that after the first few articles were published, Francis would go public. In preparation, she talked to lawyers at Whistleblower Aid, and they scrambled to help her find an available communications team who could support her. They also decided that Francis should first file whistleblower complaints with the Security and Exchange Commission, or the SEC. This would make it more difficult for Facebook to take legal action against her for leaking private documents. In the days leading up to the publication date, Francis grew more and more nervous. Then, in mid-September, the first articles went public in the Wall Street Journal. Overnight, the world learned what Francis had known for months, and people were angry. On the 14th of September, 2021, the Wall Street Journal released an article entitled Facebook Knows Instagram is Toxic for Teen Girls. The piece was accompanied by photos that Francis had taken from Workplace, showing slides from an internal Facebook presentation. One of the images showed a bar chart with the caption, We make body image issues worse for one in three teen girls. On another slide were the words, Among teens who reported suicidal thoughts, 13% of British users and 6% of American users traced the desire to kill themselves to Instagram. The article revealed that, despite this knowledge, Facebook was looking into creating a platform like Instagram for the preteen market. 
the public was outraged. Not only at the effect social media was having on their children, but at the fact that Facebook was aware of it and seemed to be doing so little about it. And the revelations kept coming. Using Francis's evidence, further articles claimed that employees were aware of traffickers in the Middle East who were using Facebook to lure women into horrendous online slave markets. The same article included reports suggesting that Facebook knew dangerous Mexican drug cartels were using the platform to incite violence. And then there were the revelations about outrage bait and the spread of inflammatory disinformation in India. All around the world, people were talking about Facebook and its mistakes. And in Silicon Valley, people were trying to work out who was behind the data leak. Francis had been nervous when the first articles were released, but that was nothing compared to how she felt on the morning of the 3rd of October, the day her name was finally revealed in the Wall Street Journal. When she first saw the article, she was struck by the large photograph of herself that was placed alongside the headline, Whistleblower Francis Haugen says she wants to fix the company, not harm it. Almost immediately, her phone started ringing and barely stopped for days. Her name and face were everywhere. Friends and former colleagues were shocked to find that this quiet, serious professional had been doing this work behind the scenes for so long. On that first day, she gave interview after interview and barely had time to catch her breath. While she had been expecting media attention, it still took some getting used to. The next day, however, something less expected happened. People all over the world found they couldn't access their Facebook accounts. Facebook Messenger and Instagram were down too, and WhatsApp. For six or seven hours, there was a total blackout. People had never known anything like it. Confused and craving social media input, people logged into Twitter and started to speculate. Could Francis's revelations have anything to do with the outage? Was this a chance for Facebook to wipe more incriminating evidence of its bad behavior? Francis refused to comment. When the apps came online again later that day, Facebook blamed the blackout on technical issues. The outage had only brought more attention to Francis's allegations. And the next day, on October 5th, worried senators asked her to testify in front of Congress. There, she told them what she had seen and encouraged other whistleblowers to come forward. In response, Mark Zuckerberg vehemently denied her claims that the platform put profits before people. And several representatives from Facebook tried to discredit Frances by painting her as a low-level employee who wasn't privy to Facebook's internal affairs or business practices. But Frances wouldn't be baited. In every interview she gave, she came across as calm and professional, clearly an expert in her field. But the thing that stood out about Frances was her optimism. When asked about it, she explained that she'd already been through the hardest fight of her life, when her own body tried to kill her, and she had to learn to walk all over again. 
the experience had taught her that anger achieved nothing. Frances hoped that her compassion would allow Mark Zuckerberg and the people around him to acknowledge that they'd made mistakes. But her compassion didn't change the fact that what she did was risky. Facebook's head of global policy management, Monica Bickert, has repeatedly referred to Frances's evidence as stolen in interviews. And when the Associated Press asked Monica if Facebook was planning to sue, she refused to answer the question. In this series, we usually tell stories that took place in the past, battles that have already been won or lost. But this story is still unfolding. And at the time of recording, Frances is still waiting to hear if she will face legal action. As for Facebook, they have made big changes since Frances blew the whistle, but not quite the changes she had hoped for. On the 28th of October, 2021, Three weeks after the Wall Street Journal articles went public, Mark Zuckerberg made an announcement. Facebook, the parent company, would be renamed as Meta. And Meta would build the Metaverse, an online universe in which users would be able to skip their commute and teleport instantly to the office as a hologram or attend virtual reality concerts with friends. While Meta insisted safety would be a priority, Francis worried that the metaverse could make the platform's problems much, much worse. As of early 2022, the U.S. government continues to investigate Facebook and its business practices, especially as they relate to misinformation and hate speech. And inspired by Francis, more and more former Facebook employees have started coming forward with their own concerns about the company's practices. Meanwhile, the company continues to insist that it has done nothing wrong. After the press died down a little, Francis set up home in Puerto Rico. There, on the surface at least, she lives an idyllic life. The heat and sun ease the occasional nerve pain in her legs. She can go out without being recognized, and the slower pace of life helps her stay grounded. But although she spends time swimming in the sea and learning to cook the local cuisine, she is still often found glued to her laptop. Her fight isn't over yet. Thanks for listening. You can find all episodes of Whistleblowers and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. We'll be back next week with a new episode about the world's biggest lies and the people who expose them. For more information on Frances Haugen and Facebook, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Wall Street Journal's The Facebook Files, Investigation and Podcast extremely helpful to our research. Whistleblowers is a Spotify original for ParCast, produced in partnership with Stable. Executive produced by Drew Cole, Max Cutler, Becky Jacobs, and David McGuire. Developed for podcast by Julian Boireau. Written by Kate Thorman. Produced by Alice Homewood. Editorial support from Mike Jemson. Mixed, mastered, and sound designed by Rowan Bishop for Stable. And hosted by me, Pat Rodriguez. 